Hello, and welcome to episode four of the Daily NTG podcast. I'm your host, Trick Jarrett. Here with my two co-hosts, Tifa and Mike. How are you guys doing? Good. I'm real good, actually, yeah. Yeah, and of course we have our special guest this episode, a man not unfamiliar with podcasting, Mr. Ryan Spain. How are you, sir? I'm great. How are you, Trick? I am great. Uh, You had the great idea, and I've already adapted it, the name of this episode, Unlimited Resources. That's right. We are inside of Wizards. We are the Daily MTG Podcast, coming to you every two weeks on DailyMTG.com. And this week, we're going to talk to Ryan. Ryan... We just had the Community Cup, and we won. Sweet. Finally. All four, <laughs> finally, and all four of us played in it. We did. Let, let's, uh, let's talk about how we did. Tifa, how'd you do? I O3'd. Oh. Losing my third game to time. Um, I got him down to 10 life in a minute and a half. Which was um, amazing to watch. I was in the coverage room <laughs> while like watching that match, and I was like, "Oh, oh, she can win this!" And then I was like, "Oh no, time!" Yeah, it was it was very very close to going one and two. But yeah, didn't get there. Uh, I went. I managed to go three one. My loss was to Conley Woods, who writes for me, so I have punished him adequately for that mistake. Excellent. But uh, I played, shortening all of his deadlines. That's right. His <laughs> articles are now due two weeks early. Not, not an embarrassing person to lose to, either. Right. Right? Yeah, I lost to Conley and Jackie, which like I'm pretty honored that I got to play them. Yeah. And well, uh, so what were your formats though? Like before we get even further, because you, I mean, Tifa, you did RTR sealed. You did RTR right. sealed trick. I did the Ravnica block RTR constructed, uh, unified constructed. Ah, love with, that. Uh, a deck that Gavin rated a 7 out of 10 difficulty, which made me sort of feel good. You know, like, uh-huh. he trusts me enough because I've heard, like, Rosewater had, like, a 4 out of 10. And I was like, oh, 7 out of 10. Maybe that's not... Uh, I didn't know where I sat until I found out. Rosewater what, had a 4 out of 10, and we lent him Mike Turian. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> yeah. I love the fact that Gavin, when I was looking through the sheets, had the difficulty ratings down at the bottom. Yeah. Like, of course, Gavin of course, you. yeah, of course Gavin would have something like that. Yeah. It came out really good. Uh, so, Mike, what did you play? Oh, oh, that's not important. We don't need to talk no. about what. what I, <laughs> fine. I was in the I was in the wacky draft, uh, which I got to say was extremely fun. Uh, the two the two rules that I was going to draft when we did the rules draft. If you watched on the coverage, we actually drafted the rules before drafting the cube. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to draft uh, roll for damage, which is where you have to roll a d six, and that determines what you're drafting, either mono something um, or a color of your opponent's choice. Uh, or uh, look sharp, which was best dressed, because I like to think I am somewhat fashionable, so I thought it would have been easy for me to pick those, and both of those got taken, and so I ended up choosing Trigger Happy, which is I had to draft anything with triggers, and I actually managed to draft a relatively good deck. It was I had people around me that were like, wow, this deck looks actually playable. It looks like it's going to work. Unfortunately, my matchups were not the best. I went against... Uh, I ended up going 0-3. For those of you that are finally want, like, just saying hurry up and get to it. I went 0-3, but all of my matchups were very poor, including I went against the Look Sharp deck, which right. ended up being a reanimator deck, which was amazing. Uh, I went against James, who had a direct damage deck, and so that just stopped anything I can do because it was just constant direct damage. Right. And then I went against uh, John Lauks, and he had the uh, the, var- the variables deck where they had to have X or counting, which included a lot of Planeswalkers because those guys count an awful lot. Right. Mm-hmm. So, That's true. Very tough matchups in, in my in my things. But I had fun. I did have a lot of fun. It was Wacky Draft was super, super fun. Yeah, it's totally crazy. I, I had the most fun watching the Wacky Draft. Oh, yeah? That, that was really fun to watch. And I actually uh, was helping my draft on Good. his, and that was, that was pretty cool. Awesome. Now, yeah. Ryan, you, didn't, you almost played on the community side originally, right? That's right, last year. Last year you were chosen, or not chosen, but you were nominated 
and then you got hired here. So you didn't get to play. So uh, Marshall, your co-host for Unlimited Resources, got to come in in your place. It was podcasting civil war. (laughs) A house divided. A house divided, yeah. That was... that was a lot of fun to uh, both, both last year and this. So last year I played uh, Marshall and I lost to him in that match, and I lost the Community Cup to him, which was <laughs> particularly uh, bothersome. Uh, but then this year, uh, so John Lauks, who's replaced me on the Limited Resources podcast, came in uh, to play for the Community team this year. And what do you know? I played him this year in uh, Man, in the field. So we- crazy so coincidences. Weird. So there was yet another. It was uh, you know we were battling for Marshall's love or something like that. <laughs> But uh, John won that round, which uh, you know uh, he's an excellent player. had a had a good pool and a good deck. I I ended up going two and one. I lost to John uh, in that in the battle of the limited resources, but then uh, pulled out uh, two matches after that. And it I had to scrap for those matches. Sure. I was it was one of those uh, pools where I'm very proud to have gone two and one. With yeah. it. It was, I think it was uh, Robert Schuster who said uh, Ryan's pool is probably the worst pool I've ever seen in any RTR sealed. <laughs> I've done quite a few, and it was in my. It was in the very, very bottom. I mean, yeah. I, I'm not one to blame pools. I mean, the beauty sounds of... sounds like you are. Uh, <laughs> the beauty of pools of, of limited pools, even the worst ones, can be driven to victory. You know, Absolutely. there's there you, the, that just makes them trick, very tricky to find a way to win with them. What, you know, given that I don't have any overt power here, I don't have any obvious bombs. What am I doing with this pool to find some wins and? It meant playing a lot of spells I wouldn't normally play, right. stretching into colors. Uh, you know, it ended up being basically base Golgari with uh, Is it splashes and wow, yeah. Well, because I had I had one Guild Gate, which was the Is it Guild Gate, <laughs> but I had two of the uh, Vine Creeper, Creeper, yeah, you know, that fetch Guild Gate Creeper Vine. Vine. Yeah. So, uh, and I also had the O uh, three Wall that taps for. Uh, Colored mana based on the number Axe of defenders Bane. you have. Axe Bane Axe Guardian. Guardian. Yeah. yeah. So I had enough fixing and specifically fixing for Is It so that I could commit to a base Golgari, but eventually I would find that guild gate and turn on my Is It stuff. Right. And, and so I'm playing eight drops and seven drops that are just big, clunky, ridiculous things, <laughs> but at the same time, it was the best, the best thing I had. That's so. what the pool gave you. Yeah, that's so. what the pool gave me. I was pretty torn on my pool in RTR Sealed. Like, I think I tried a couple different color combinations that I didn't really feel as comfortable with um, and ended up, I really liked my white mm-hmm. uh, and I ended up doing a Selesnia splashing black, which I know a big surprise, uh, but I I maybe should have went Rakdos and sort of regretted it afterwards. Right. The thing about your pool was you actually had, you had enough to support either any direction you wanted to go for yeah. either the Selesnia Splash Black or the Rakdos Splash Green. You had enough to go either way. Right, right. which I went I went Selesnia because I felt more comfortable going that route having played it so much. Yeah. Um, but it didn't end up panning out for me. That's important, though. I mean, I looked at your pool. We were sitting next to each other, and I, I looked at your pool and saw it as a Rakdos pool for me, like if I'm going in. Yeah. But uh, play preference is absolutely vital in spots like that, particularly when you are going to be under a clock and the, uh, you need to be familiar and comfortable and ready to make quick decisions. Yeah. And even if it was demonstrable that somehow that wasn't the spikiest, most ideal build, if it was the one you were comfortable with and could play most effectively, then it, it was your best chance. Yeah. And it's not like you were blown out in your matches. I mean, your matches against Neil at the end, like your last your last match, those oh, were yeah. really good those matches. Oh, really good. Yeah. Well, and yeah. I mean, all of my matches were, like, I was doing things. Yeah. It's just with Jackie, she got Supreme Verdict and then Armada Worm, and oh. then the next game, Armada Worm again. 
Yeah, um, that's the thing. O three is never going to tell a complete story, right? Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> I will, I will admit, playing uh, the Trigger Happy deck was probably the most fun I've ever had playing because it was like, hang on, I'm doing something. Wait, 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 <laughs> wait, wait. Okay, it's your turn. Yep. Like, it was, that, so that was every turn fun. of mine was, hang on, hang on, Turns I can There's a lot of triggers. There's a lot of triggers. <laughs> and can I, I just want to throw a shout out uh, to Mr. John Lauks, who was a great sport the entire time um, during the tour. He got some daggers thrown at him when Dan Emmons showed him the Great Designer Search 2 list with his name crossed off. And I can see the pain in his chest. And so me, of course, playing mind games, took that piece of paper. I was sitting right across from him and then taped that piece of paper to my <laughs> laptop. So every time he looked up, he saw it. He was just like, oh, like I can see the pain in him. But he was a great sport the entire time. And yep. um, he gave me a shout out on the latest Limited Resources podcast. And it was like, Robles was playing mind games with me, but I ended up winning. And so those were very good matches. And Mr. Lauks, I still hard you you were awesome well let's let's give a shout out to the entire community team on top yes. of that because they were great sports all around they, they came in and uh for the first time they they didn't leave with the trophy so uh, we, we really appreciate them coming out and participating and playing games with us yeah. i had a blast giving them the tour yeah because uh, i was honored to show them around where we work and all the insides of wizards i mean they were great sports on that and had a lot of fun Good. It's a lot of magic too. I mean, they right. they, yeah. they come in. I, 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 having seen it a couple of years now, I see the community team come in thinking, "Oh, this will be nice. A little <laughs> take a little break and go to Wizards and ease back and play a little magic." And then it's like, "No, you are here, and they have work to do." And boy, they took it seriously. Like I don't. You oh, know, yeah. see them at the. Uh, at, at Card Kingdom when we went to dinner there, and uh, they were like huddled in the back room, just yeah, absolute poker faces on getting down, trying to figure out their uh, constructed decks. And anytime there was a break, anytime they had any sort of break, Conley was out with his laptop and was, like, working on his the, the yeah, constructed decks. people huddled decks. around yeah. him uh, making yeah. comments, yeah. So, Ryan, as we said, you've almost played on the community side. You've played on the, on the Wizards side. Let's talk about more about your background. I mean, sure. Uh, you work for Wizards. You are, uh, as I believe, the liaison for R&D between R&D and digital, right? Yeah, I'm a digital designer in R&D, and basically what that means is, uh, so wherever magic experiences take place, R&D has a say. Right. R&D gets to check it out and input or drive it as, as is needed in any given situation. And so I'm kind of the R&D point guy on Magic Online. Mm-hmm. So I will help transition sets from paper to digital. You know, what's new in the latest set? How are we going to implement it on Magic Online? Uh, what do the developers of the, the set developers need in terms of details to get the new mechanics working correctly on Magic Online? I uh, work with the business team to plan the future feature roadmap for Magic Online and then design those features. And uh, what's been dominating the landscape lately has been the development of the new Magic Online client. So right. that's uh, I've had a, been mostly working on that. Awesome. The transition from paper to digital is something I think a lot of players just sort of take for granted. You know, Obviously, right. they do it on paper so they can do it on Magic Online. That's not always the case, though. No, it is a very tough task. and uh, it, like, There's a lot of jobs where when you're doing it right, nobody notices. Right. You know, And that's kind of one of them. People just expect cards to work when they try out a new set online. And it's uh, really fraught with peril when right. you're wait, wait, implementing... So wait, so you're telling me that any new mechanic that comes out is just not going to automatically work in MitGo? No. People <laughs> people on the second floor actually have to go into the code and make it work. Right. Like, 
<laughs> Mind blown. So for those of you who haven't been to Wizard's Office, is the hierarchy or the, the floor layout, I should say. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not hierarchy. <laughs> <laughs> Completely wrong word. But, uh, higher is the key part of that in that there's four floors to the building. We occupy two and a half of them. So the second floor is where Magic Digital or, or Wizards Digital sort of is, right. is based. That's Magic Online. That's a lot of our back-end web development, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. The third floor is R&D, creative. Uh, the, where the magic happens. Where the magic happens, indeed. Uh, oh, also we've the, all made that joke. Come on. I don't know. you I do that every tour. <laughs> every tour. Look me in the eye and tell me you've never said that to anybody. All right. No. Maybe I've said uh, that sorry, a few I times. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, also on the third floor is the packaging, the designs for the, the, the paper products you buy on the mm-hmm. shelf, stuff like that. Fourth floor is a lot of the business, you know, marketing, uh, brand, PR, and also the game support, the customer service section. So that's when he's saying second floor, he's referring to the digital uh, that's right. teams. Yeah, so you are the, the go-between, the liaison, the person who tells each side where they're going to be upset. The communicator, <laughs> yes. The communicator, <laughs> yes. And uh, we have you writing occasional, uh, every two weeks roughly on Daily MTG, updating the community. on This entire position of yours isn't just something that fell upon you. You've sort of been working towards this because you worked in video games before you worked with Wizards, right? I did. I've been uh, in the game industry for well over a decade. Uh, I started working uh, at Sierra Online on the Hoyle products, so, mm-hmm. you know, board games, card games. So, really, I've been in digital, tradi- traditional, digital implementations of traditional gaming for most of my career. Right. And uh, have always been, also been a Magic Online player since beta, and have always had a long-term vision of, like, these two could merge someday. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm working on making these games over here. This uh, Magic is my favorite game and one of my greatest passions, and let's see if we can figure out how to merge those into a job here, and it, it worked out. Right. So since you've been here, one of the biggest things you've worked on, I'm going to say this not knowing that, so please correct me if I'm sure. wrong, is this beta redesign change for Magic Online. Is that true? It is true, yes. I mean, it's a huge undertaking. It is, and I kinda, I've come in somewhat in the middle, and so that's been a challenge for me as well. To, right. to, but it's also, I've also been a fresh pair of eyes so that I can say, you know, hey, guys, i got to say this needs some changing or this is going great. Uh, but stepping into a big project like that and helping it get to the finish line has been the bulk of my work right. at, at Wizards so far. A little bit of random trivia. Uh, it was because of Ryan Spain. He was like, hey, this change needs to be implemented in Magic Online for some future project that actually allowed us to get games uh, working better for the Community Cup. There was, yeah, there was yeah, the cha- right. It was a change that Ryan made. It was oh. like, hey, we should put this change in and put it in now because it was supposed to be something for the future, but it actually ended up helping us a lot during the Community Cup. Yeah, we didn't have the ability to uh, export uh, to save out limited decks. Oh, right. Basically. Okay, yeah. That was, so yeah. the, the current client, uh, in during while building a limited deck, you can just save it to your hard drive or save it to your net decks. Uh, and in the new client, we didn't hadn't implemented that yet. It was always on the list to, right. to bring up to parity with the current client, but it wasn't there yet. And then... It just happened. It was like, look, we, you know, this would be a great feature to get in. Happened to get it in, and then we realized it was actually very important yeah. how we wanted to run the community cup. So, yeah. What, yeah, because we ran so many limited events that it was just easy for someone to be like, oh, I can just hurry up and save my cube deck or my right. sealed deck. Yeah. It was also really easy to understand. I'm not a very technical person, and hadn't been playing Magic, the new Magic Online beta, mm-hmm. that much. Hadn't played limited at all on it, and I know that it was actually pretty quick for me to know how to save my deck and everything. Uh, Ryan works very closely with a guy named Dave Marcy, who does, who's our UI designer for Magic right. Online. 
or I, is that his official yep. title? Yeah. yeah. He, he is fantastic, and he's one of the main drivers behind the new UI that he and Ryan have been working closely on to, yes. to you know, make these changes. And the one thing that we want to make sure the community understands is this isn't just a facial re- facelift for Magic Online. This is a very core, from-the-ground-up rebuild, right? Yes, of the client. I mean, one thing to make a distinction of is that we have the back end, which is handling the game logic, handling right. the server, you know, the servers and that type of thing, and then your front end, your client, which is where people interface with that back end. The back end hasn't changed at all, which is why we're able to run the parallel client situation that we have right now where you can play on the current client or you can play on the beta client and they can play each other because it's really just two different things interfacing with the same back end. But yes, the uh, the beta client is indeed a ground-up rewrite of the interface to the Magic Online back end. Right. The beta client, I mean, you bring up the, the fact that we're running both the beta and the, the current client mm-hmm. at the same time. And the reason we're doing that is, you know, the beta client's still being worked on why are we letting people play with the beta client right now? Uh, because we felt it was at a place in its development where customers could play it, experience it, and give us legitimate, helpful feedback. That was the bottom line. Right. Like we didn't release it to the world thinking that it was perfect. That it didn't. We know there's a, a, quite a bit of left to do on it, and we're working on those things. Right. But having the public be able to test it out and see which direction we're headed and give that feedback has actually led to course corrections, uh, deprioritization, and increased prioritization of certain features to make sure that uh, the areas of most concern for players were being addressed and that uh, we were on the right track with what we were trying to do. Right. So we are literally taking feedback and making changes as they come in. This isn't just a, here's a beta, see it as we work on it. It is, here's a beta, <laughs> tell us what you don't like, what you think needs to be worked on, yep. and we'll work on it. It's such an awesome opportunity for both us to be able to get such widespread like testing of this. Right. And also, I mean, I feel like it's awesome for the community to be able to see something we're working on. Yeah. I think it's great for both sides. It's also because there's such a huge community that plays, you know, Magic Online. You've got the guys that are just going to go in and play every once in a while. You've got the, you got the guys that are going to play drafts or sealed, you know, 100 times. And those are guys that are there strictly to trade. And so we're getting such a broad audience that we're able to get this feedback from so many different audiences. And every bit of feedback is important because we know it's not just one type of uh, person that plays Magic Online, which right. I think is super important. Right. And, you know, Magic players... <clears throat> They have opinions. I don't know if you know this, but uh, they have opinions and they like to share them. And basically we're trying to take advantage of that and say, absolutely, give us your opinions and, and chime in. I actually prefer playing on the new client. Like it took me – I mean obviously I've been playing on the beta for a, a while now. Um, and when I first – with the beta, I was like, oh, this is actually a little difficult to use. I wasn't really good at it. But, but now the changes that have been made, I so prefer the new beta. I have sure. a really hard time playing the old client uh, if, if I need to. I have a really hard time going back. I am so spoiled with Commander deck building on the new client as, com- oh, yeah. as compared to the old client. It's just so <laughs> much better and more intuitive and more useful in so many ways. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been great to see the progress in the last year that I've been here, and, uh, and I see what's on the roadmap ahead for us and right. can't, can't wait until it is ready to be the one and only Magic Online client because uh, I do believe that... that where it's headed is a place that is better than where we're at. Right, and, absolutely. Uh, every day I see the improvements, and every day I see uh, new things going in that are going to make the experience that much better for our players. And the great thing about <laughs> a good Magic Online experience means that there's going to be more opportunity for people who maybe 
don't get to play the paper game anymore to play online and still be a part of our community. And having the better client will just mean that there's going to be even more interest and more people that can, you know, understand the client itself. Yeah, I mean, so we understand that the current client itself is a barrier to entry for right. people. Where, yeah. you know, <laughs> the, that uh, it caters to the uh, super experienced mm-hmm. player and the player who's willing to fight through some counterintuitive stuff to become a master of this application so that they can play <laughs> online this game that they love. But a lot of players who are would be great Magic Online players and would, would love that ability and experience to play Magic in their pajamas uh, just hit the barrier of this client is too much. There, uh, there's nothing telling me what to do, no hand-holding. Yeah. And so step one is to get... Uh, this new client one of the primary goal of the beta client actually is to really set create a new foundation for magic online the the current client there's many features and and things that we would theoretically love to do for the magic online experience but they're simply not worth doing on the current client the right. the, the foundation is not there to support a long-term growth plan for for the for the client uh, so we're kind of taking the first step of, okay, well, let's start from scratch on the client, rewrite something that can be a base moving forward, and then really tackle the issues that are uh, a problem for Magic Online, which is making sure that uh, uh, new players can come there, play, feel welcomed, feel like they have some guidance and know what to do and uh, and aren't just don't run away in fear of, <laughs> right, the, yeah. of the complexity of the client, which is unfortunately what the case is with current clients. Well, that, that's part of one of the things with Magic is, is that there's a whole unseen complexity. And right. with Magic Online, it's in-your-face complexity because of the framework that has to be used to implement it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so, it's a pro and a con, really. I, I thought I knew. I thought I was a great Magic player, and then I played <laughs> my first game of Magic Online, and I'm like, wow, I didn't know what kind of magic player I was. So it is actually a great learning tool in that way. Like being able to have this application. You know, what the thing I love most about Magic Online is probably uh, having a level five judge preside over every (laughs) every single one of your games. Like you cannot make a mistake. Everything, you don't make mistakes, and if you didn't understand something about the rules after you see it happen on Magic Online, you start to understand it more. And I think that's a great benefit. And the new, I love the new step. Uh, layout on like the, the top of the screen, the phase bar. Yeah, yeah because yeah. it really shows new players like exactly where they are and what's going on. Right. And I know when I was brand new at playing Magic, I didn't understand that. Right. And seeing it laid out in that way, and it was like that in the old client, but I think it's even better this time because you're actually watching it right on top of the screen there with you. And the intro. And you can make the the, the stops the stops where right. you want them the intuitiveness is much better on this new client yes. which is i think That's the right word. and the words too i mean the, the the one of the great ui debates in any application really is icons versus words where do you want to use which and uh, I think the, the fact that we've moved to words for the phase bars is important because the, on, in the current client it's just kind of a jumble of icons that don't really speak out as meaning what they are, you can't look at the icons there and go, ah, that means combat. You know, right. the, whereas if we, this is where you spell it out, so you can see, yeah. yes, yeah. I know exactly where we are, and, and I'm 
I'm just going to read the words here. So we've actually just done a, a fairly, when this comes out, we'll have just done another big rollout for Magic Online's beta client. And this one really focuses on the collection side of things, right? Right. Uh, the collection scene was basically not fully f- even finished when we went to wide beta. It was functional. You, right. could, you could do the uh, deck building in the client or we wouldn't have released it. Uh, but one of the key features was the uh, list view, which is how I like to build decks. I'm totally a spreadsheet guy when it comes to that. Just show me. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need to see the pictures uh, when I'm building a deck. I just want to sort by casting cost and right. filter options. And the filter options are much deeper now. Uh, and now that there's a list view uh, and easier deck starting. So it's much easier to start a new deck and it, everything gets auto-saved. Uh, I find uh, trimming it down to the cards I'm looking for from a huge collection uh, to be much easier now. Yeah, I, I like I said, I love the new collection feature, and uh, having gotten some early looks at this new collection scene, as you called it, uh, I really am looking forward to doing more deck building. Yeah, with great. It. So as I said earlier, we're really, really wanting the community's input on this. Yes. So on the Daily MTG podcast page for this episode, you'll find a link to both the download page, where you can download the beta client, as well as a link to a feedback form that we're using, actively collecting people's feedback. Yep. Uh, so please, if you haven't tried it out, give it a shot. There's no, there's no damage, no risk to your collections. There's nothing, there's nothing that can go wrong with their collections, right, Ryan? Right. No, the, again, the, all the collection and game management stuff is in the back end. That's not being touched. Right. There's no risk at all of using the new client uh, in terms of that, of, of managing your collection. Uh, but it is on. It is live. So sure. while the client is beta. You know, if you trade away your Jace on the beta client, you have you have traded away Jace. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Actions are final, yes. but there's no there, there's nothing that could theoretically go wrong if you're just taking it out for a drive. Right. Also, that said, matches you play are official matches on Magic Online, so don't go out there and just say, "Oh, this draft doesn't matter. I don't care for my record points or whatever." You know, <laughs> for my uh, mox points. Yep. So definitely, if you haven't tried it out yet, give it a try. Give us your feedback. We want to hear it. If you also, you can reach out to Ryan on Twitter. Also, Worth is on Twitter. Uh, Lee Sharp. Any anyone on Twitter. If you have Magic Online feedback, send it to us, and we will make sure it gets to the right people. Yeah. Because we are hungry for more feedback. We want to continue to work on this client. We read it all. Now, one of my favorite things for Magic Online. I don't know if you all know this about me. Other than Commander, is drafting. And that's one of the hardest things about coming to work at Wizards is that you don't just get to draft on Magic Online anytime oh, anymore. Brutal. It is, isn't it? You and, like, Brian, you, and I, you feel my pain. There have been some days where like, ah, oh, maybe I should just resign today. <laughs> I have to really use like, a little Magic Online draft. I need a draft. Yeah. Daddy needs his fix. So, Ryan, you came to us, came to Wizards by way of the Limited Resources podcast, as yep. we talked about. And that podcast was you and Marshall Sutcliffe, who now does coverage for us, talking about Limited. Sure. That was your bread and butter. You guys just loved talking about that. Yep. So you're a drafter. I am. What do you think of Return to Ravnica drafting? Well, it's funny. First, I would say that I've uh, I've only drafted it maybe five times at this point, which is another crazy part about being oh, drafted the printed. I actually had right. the, the, the set was still in development when I started, and so one of my earliest playtesting around here was actually getting to draft uh, Return to Ravnica, which was super exciting when sitting down and reading playtest stickers and trying right. to figure out a new format that literally nobody outside of that room had seen before. <laughs> uh, but uh, so I played a ton of sealed and very little drafting. Uh, but what I have learned about drafting, uh, it's very, it's a synergy oriented format. Right. Uh, you are tend to be driven down a, 
uh, a guild path. Obviously, you can go outside of the guilds. You can, you can, heck, you can draft a Boros deck in right. this format. You know, so, it's possible. Now, before you get to talk ranking about the guilds, I just want to mm-hmm. warn you. Jennifer might jump across the table if you speak badly about Celestia. <laughs> Celestia is one of my favorite. Oh, okay, to all right, good. We don't have to worry about that. Uh, issue. And it was in testing too. Like I would see, uh, I'm kind of, I'm a, I'm a spiky limited player, but I, I mean, I, I try to find avenues to win. I want my win percentage to be as high as possible. But in constructed world, I'm actually very much a Johnny Timmy. I like doing big things. I like uh, making cards work together in complicated ways. Uh, and when when there is a successful spiky draft archetype that has a Johnny or Timmy, Timmy angle to it, I actually love it. And I think uh, I think Selesnya is exactly that mm-hmm. uh, because it has parts to it. You don't you know if, if you draft Rakdos, you're like I want creatures. I want them to be cheap. I want to <laughs> unleash them and I want to kill you with them as quickly as possible. And it's not very creative in terms of its execution. Right. I mean, it's, it's skillful, but uh, whereas Selesnya, how many? token makers do you draft how many populate cards do you draft what is the right balance there what are the best ones and so it starts to feel more of a more like a combo deck and that's where synergy is at its highest you know and i think those that uh, more and more in r&d we've been making sure that formats have that kind of angle of attack on them that it's not just uh always create you know cast the most uh, efficient creature you can and attack with it it's uh, there you know look there's there's sideways ways to approach winning a game of magic in, right. even within limited and i think selesnia is a, a good example of that and so is is it frankly that uh is it has, has been great to watch the community kind of struggle with is it a bit you know figure out how do you how what is this guild doing how does it doesn't look like it's doing anything it, right. it's <laughs> like it's countering this and maybe destroying that but its creatures aren't the best on the battlefield and so what is exactly is it doing to win and but then you start to put together the good is it deck which is you know going to be focused on a lot of instants and sorceries and uh, and really just kind of holding the fort, getting in damage here and there, almost incidental damage. But then the Izzet deck will, out of the blue, suddenly tap all your guys and give all of its guys plus two, plus zero, right. and crash in, and suddenly you're dead. You it know? comes and out of the blue. It comes out of the blue. And so it, Literally and figuratively. Yeah. <laughs> it comes out of the red and blue. Uh, as I say, <laughs> it, it's a deck that makes you feel exceedingly clever when you make it work, which is perfect for the guild, right? right. It's, yeah. the, it's the guild of cleverness and it, that kind of ambition and uh, uh, tinkering and experimentation. So I think that's great as well. Yeah. I know one of the things I really enjoy about Return to Ravnica drafting is how easy it is to go three colors. Yeah. Because uh, you can stick mostly to your guild, but it's so easy to splash, like, a yeah. stab wound or, you know, some rare that you open later. Yeah. Um, yeah. Totally. And particularly if you're in one of the green guilds, right? Yeah. It sounds like you prefer Selesnia, so I, I'm, yeah. I'm not surprised that you find yourself easily able to splash here and there because those gate creeper vines uh, fetching yep. the uh, half-colored uh, uh, gates uh, that enable those easy splashes are, are fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm a big green player in general. Mm-hmm. So. I love the Rakdos draft archetype, just for the record. Yeah, I do too. I, I love it because it wins a lot, right? right. <laughs> I mean, it's very, it. <laughs> it's, it's very, very powerful. It's straightforward. But it also... When I talk about synergies and the things that I like about this draft format are they, they, they do, even this straightforward deck like Rakdos is still turning conventional wisdom on its ear here and there in right. ways that are really fascinating uh, because of its 
speed and aggression. You have things like uh, uh, the enchantments like Deviant Glee and Pursuit of Flight, which I would normally auras. You know, who plays auras in limited? Right. I'm, yeah. a, I'm a spike. I don't do that. I'm not going to set myself up for a two-for-one. Well, let's, let's talk real quick. I don't want divul- to uh, you know, divert you completely, okay. but why are auras bad? Uh, auras are dangerous because they set you up for the possibility of an opponent using one card to destroy two of yours. Right. And that is a battle of attrition that if you let go on too many times, they just get what we call card advantage. And uh, the player, the mage who dishes out the most cards is is probably going to win the game. Mm -hmm. And uh, you don't want to get behind on cards. So auras make one of your creatures awesome, but if in response your opponent can destroy the creature you were targeting, or even after it's landed, destroy it after that fact, uh, you'll find yourself falling farther and farther behind yeah. and eventually will be overwhelmed. They also require a creature to do anything. Right. right. If you don't have a creature, they're a dead card. Yeah. If you had two creatures, you could draw either one and do something. If you have one of each and you draw the aura first, you're just sitting around waiting. So right. that's a great point, Tifa. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, but in this case, Rakdos is so aggressive and the removal is so uh it's there like people say oh there's not there's not much limit removal in in rtr no it's there it's just that the the absolute removal tends to be at six mana and then there's conditional removal uh at three you know at at the lower mana points but if you are playing an aggressive rakdos deck you can play these one drops you wouldn't normally play and then on turn two cast auras on them that you wouldn't normally play and suddenly you have this huge threat that is uh, saying sure yeah you can kill this guy when you get to six mana but I'm going to kill you uh, on turn five so I'm not too concerned about your six drop removal and uh, I love that and that also that these one drop creatures that I would normally never consider playing and I'm not saying they're excellent but they're suddenly playable. You know, right. uh, a card like uh, uh, Bellows Lizard or Drainpipe Vermin, which is, you know, a, a single red mana 1-1 one, one and a single black mana 1-1 one, one, right. that can come down on turn 1 and then get suited up with these auras. And, like, in any other format, I would look at that and go, <laughs> I would never do, like, why would I set myself up for that kind of risk? But uh, Rakdos has been set up to actually be able to be effective at that. Well, I think that you bring up an excellent point, which is, is that card evaluations... In limited are especially tricky because in a, in a vacuum, those two creatures, like you said, may not be great, may not be playable. But in this archetype, their value goes way up. They become really more powerful, really yep. more utilitarian, really more dangerous for your opponent. When R&D can get people, to, for their conventional wisdom, to be not spot on, it's, it's great. You know, we're right. basically presenting a puzzle to solve whenever we release a new set. And uh, the limited puzzle is, is always more interesting when uh, your rules of thumb don't always apply. Right. When we're able to, to tweak the puzzle just enough that you think you know what you're doing, and then you discover down the road that it's actually, you know, six degrees off, you right. know. That's actually why I always get excited for new sets. It's to see the limited play, because I draft a lot. I've probably drafted Return of Ravnica almost two dozen times, if wow, I had to nice. guess. Like, a I'm lot. Jealous. Like, yeah. three times a week since probably a couple of weeks before the pre-release, uh, if I can find people and time to do it. Uh, so it's always, like, that's always my favorite thing when a set comes out, is to see, okay, what is the new... What am I looking for in this particular draft? Because it's never the same. Right. I also love how uh, draft is self-correcting in its metagame. Uh, this happens. You experience this. If, if you're a heavy Magic Online player, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because there seems to be 
uh, early on in the first couple of weeks of a set, the conventional wisdom on the archetypes will be some archetype will be deemed the the least desirable, the the hardest to make work. I think uh, my sense is that that's been kind of tagged as Golgari in in Return to Ravnica, where people uh, top players tend to want to avoid it because it doesn't seem as strong as the others. But the more that happens, the more Golgari then becomes the one that you want to go after because nobody else is there. You know? right. and so less it's, competition. It's, yeah, less competition. And I just love that about draft in general, that uh, that as time goes on and people start to apply what their, their lessons and what they're learning, uh, it actually shifts what colors tend to be open in the middle of a draft yeah, and, absolutely. and take advantage of it. One of the things that I think is really interesting about the Return to Ravnica block, outside of the cards in each set, is, is this new set structure we're trying out, mm-hmm. where we're doing triple RTR, then come you know February we'll do triple gate crash, where normally it would be gate crash RTR RTR, and then in May when uh, Dragon's Maze we can now talk about that. Yeah, uh, when, when Dragon's Maze will be released, uh, we'll be Dragon's Maze then gate crash then RTR. So that's going to be a new wrinkle in the fabric of competitive play for drafters. Definitely. I've been pondering this a lot. Uh, it's, I think it's really interesting. It's really unique. This is the first time I, I can think of, and I, I think ever, that uh, we've said, okay, you're going to draft this large set heavily. You're going to completely take a break from it. And then later on, you know, X months later, you're going to end up drafting it again in a completely different context. Right. Absolutely. We've never done it before, and that's because we haven't ever had a large set as our second set. Right. And uh, we're coming up on the winter break here at Wizards. We actually close between uh, Christmas Eve and New Year's Day. And uh, interestingly enough, the calendar falls such that we're going to be coming straight into Gatecrash previews when we come back into the building. Nice. So it's going to be exciting when we get to that part. Until then, we're, we're still drafting RTR out there. And I have to tell you, like I said, I love drafting Rakdos. I've really become obsessed with that Boros drafting you brought up. Like, mm-hmm. I've seen a couple people talk about it. I've read, uh, I think, two articles about it. And the Bellows Lizard ethereal armor, like just, that's just living the dream for me. Right. <laughs> uh, it can be done. There's uh, lots of little, you know, if the format were set up just to support exactly five archetypes, it would actually... Be a, it would become an unappealing environment where, well, let's see, are you one of the people who got one of the singleton, you know, of the eight players who has, how are we dividing up these five archetypes, right? Because right. if that's yeah. the only option, uh, then that that's what's going to happen. But as long as there are these outs, these sideways approaches, these uh, non-traditional ways to draft the format that you can look for, not only is it interesting to a more Johnny mindset of like, how can I tackle this environment a little differently than everybody <laughs> else's, but also uh, prevents you, us from falling into this trap of uh, splitting five among eight. Right. How do you think, how do all of you think, RTR ranks in terms of difficulty for new players when it comes to drafting? You know, I don't think it's that difficult because they're... I mean, the guilds sort of help you decide. I mean, most people, when someone's like, oh, I'm scared to draft, I don't want to draft, and I tell them, I was like, all right, you're going to go in, I'm going to open your first pack, and you know, you're going to look at, you're probably going to look at your rare and some of the uncommons. You're going to think, oh, I may want to draft this color. It's like, but if you go in, and I use this a lot for cube, if you go in knowing that you want to draft certain colors, this may help. And I think the guilds sort of push you to that direction where you open your first pack and you think, okay, well, I've got some of these really good gold cards or multicolored cards, 
I think this is the direction I want to go. And then as you start to get more and more cards, you can you can tend to decide, all right, well, I'm getting the gold cards in the colors I want, or no, I need to start and switch over. I think it's relatively easier than some of the formats, only because of the fact that it so heavily pushes you towards, like we mentioned, it pushes you towards the guilds. I do think multicolor makes <clears throat> it a little harder than, say, a core set. You know, right. uh, but I think drafting in general, it's funny. Most casual players who only dabble in limited tend to play sealed. Maybe they show up at their pre-release and they play sealed, or they, they gravitate towards sealed because they think of it, there's no pressure, right? You just get a pool and you open it, and, and there's not this pressure of having to make a pick. But I would say that sealed is so much more difficult than draft. Right. Uh, being able to take, just crack all these packs, look at, what, 84 cards all at once, and figure out what is best when literally you could have two complete two or three complete different decks yeah. that are all viable. Yeah. Making those choices is actually really tough on a newer player. And if they can get over the hump and just try drafting, you realize, oh, I only have to look at, at most 15 cards at once. Yeah. And as soon as I've made a choice, I have some direction. And then I've taken a green card. I really like this green card. By gosh, I'm going to play this green card no matter what. Now suddenly you're narrowing your choices down to four cards in the next pack. I just want to look at the green ones. And right. so yep. uh, I, I think that, yes, you're right, the, that once you can commit to a direction in a draft, um, the process goes a lot easier for new players. Uh, and the, it's kind of a myth that draft is the expert <laughs> kind of experience and, and sealed is, is less so. I think sealed is way more difficult. Well, and I think with gold cards especially make, makes that even more true because in a sealed with gold cards, it's like you don't even know how you're laying it all yeah. out. <laughs> how do you yeah. how do I even put these on the table, much less take okay. in the information, right? Yeah, and when you're drafting, if you have a really good gold card, then you just know, oh, I'm looking for these two colors. Right. Um, I Actually, when I first heard about Return to Ravnica, I didn't play in the original Ravnica block, but when I first heard about Return to Ravnica and started learning about it um, and even looked at the old Ravnica... Um, I expected it to be really hard for new players. And running Lady Planeswalker Society, I work with a lot of new players every week. Um, so I was sort of expecting there to be this hurdle. But they all got so excited about the guilds that they sort of knew what they wanted to play before they drafted. And I think that made it easier. Right. Because they, while a lot of them are still a little intimidated by drafting, they were like, okay, well, I really like this guild, so I'm just going to try to do that. And it seemed to work out. We've only had one draft so far, um, like official draft, and it seemed to work out pretty good. Uh, uh, one thing I noticed was a lot of people were like, well, I'm three colors, and they were nervous about it, not realizing that, that, that this set does that. And then once they played, they were like, my deck worked. I'm so excited. Right. <laughs> so it was, it was interesting to see that happen. I, I think you guys are, hit all of the, the points that I had in mind, was that the guilds provide direction. But where I think that it does add the complexity is the same as it is with Sealed, where you have the deck building, where you're like, maybe this draft, maybe you had to switch halfway through, you know, that sort of thing. And so you're like, well, did I, did I get enough of this one <laughs> theme, or do I need to split themes, or, or what do I need to go, where do I need to go with this? And so I think just like Sealed, where the complexity is they have 84 unattached cards, you know, these were randomly assigned, whereas with Draft, they have the, the uh, 14, 42 cards of the draft pool that are ideally mostly on theme for them. Right. But we, we definitely have had multiple discussions in recent weeks about the complexity of Sealed, and we have the new column running on Daily MTG by Nate Price that sort of is meant as an intro guide, as here is, we're going to walk you through Sealed, we're going to explain to you the, the reasons behind why you should build this way and why it's more difficult than a lot of people realize, like you right. said. 
Uh, it's one of those things where people are like, well, sealed is, I get, I pop crack, I, I pop packs, I build the deck, and I play. Whereas draft is intimidating because you sit down, you open a pack, you pick a card, you pass a pack. Pick so a card. procedural, they're, and there's a time yeah, limit, and right. there's other people at the table waiting for you to do your thing. Right. And I totally get that. Right? Yeah, I there's, mean, there's, there's this whole extra psychological barrier that the players have to get over. But once they do, they're in this realm that they understand. I'm building a deck. I need cards. This is how I get my cards. Right. So I think that RTR does so much right with its its limited play and with its drafting, with the guilds, with all of the different themes. We had an article by Dave Humphreys a couple of weeks ago talking about the themes development put in there. And each guild actually has two archetypes. They sort of, the yep. fast and the slow that they were aiming for. And again, that kind of helps with the splitting up the five things for eight players right. problem. Right. So you have these, even though you have five guilds, each guild has two things you can go after. So someone can be the fast Golgari, someone can be the slow Golgari, someone can be the fast Rakdos, sometimes someone can be the, the bomb-based Rakdos, you know, that sort yep. of thing. You know, Trick, you mentioned you talked about how people want to switch directions. It doesn't matter if you're a new player or a super player that drafts all the time. You go to any draft, I guarantee you, when it comes to that third pack, someone at your table will say the words, it's okay to switch colors in this pack, right? No matter what happens, because it's true. It happens in every single draft, uh, and that's fine. It's a thing that happens. If you get a great rare or something that you're just like, this is too good to not play, you can do it and splash your third color. At Gen Con, I did uh, an AVR M13 M13. We're like, let's try it. It's kind of wacky, and I drafted. I think I was playing... Um, Black blue the entire draft the entire time until I opened up a primordial hydra in my third pack and I was like I have to play primordial hydra because it's unstoppable like you right. get it out there and it's unstoppable and then it switched and then drafted all green for that last pack and it's just it happens. Yep. Wow. Note to self: Don't sit to Mike's <laughs> left in a draft because you will completely wreck me in the third pack. Signaling just goes out the yeah. window. It's yeah. only if I open up a really good card. Yeah. Well, I can say you know actually it's a little known secret that the best way to open a Jace. Is is to uh, make sure to go not blue for your first uh, first two <laughs> packs of a color, and then you're most likely to open a Jace in the, uh, the pack three, pick one. Schrodinger's so. booster pack is what right. you're telling me. Yeah. The pack that both has Jace and doesn't have Jace, and the and more you draft not blue, the more it has Jace. That's right. Because who, who opens on-color bombs in the third pack? Never. Yeah. Never happens. Mike Turian. Mike Turian. There yeah. you go. That's his, that's his secret. My so, pre-release pack had a Jace, and it was a Selesnia pre-release pack, so see? that was see? kind of a bummer. You're just proving my point. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. But you just called opening Jace a bummer, which I can't really say. <laughs> <laughs> we might have to disown you from the podcast for that. I'll have to check with the Azorian authorities. Uh, let, let me switch again. Still talking about draft. There's one more thing I want to talk about, which is new player, uh, generic advice for new players. The thing I always remember hearing when I was first learning Magic, first really getting into the competitive play, even though I never succeeded at being competitive, I tried, was BREAD. You know, this acronym for helping people know what to pick. It was BOMBS for B, R was removal, E for evasion. I forget what A, but it was basically creatures. Well, that's exactly what happens. (laughs) Everybody who cites BREAD goes BOMBS, removal, evasion, and something else. I don't know. A, and then D was dregs. and And the thing is... Again, a testament to what R&D has been doing of late in Magic is that bread really gets thrown out the window. I mean, bombs, sure. <laughs> like, if, if, you, uh, if you open a bomb, take it, absolutely. But this notion that removal is always better than an evasion creature is now, now not true. Right. I, I actually love the clunky removal in, uh, in Return to Ravnica. I love that if you want to deal with something absolutely, it's going to cost you six mana. Right. So when you open a six mana removal spell, 
are you are you going bread and then taking that over a, a, a really efficient creature? That is no longer the case. You, right. the bread used to be true in the days where the removal was all uh, terrors Terror. and doom blades and two mana instants <laughs> that destroyed anything. You know, like yes, at that, at that point you're pretty much taking. Uh, removal over anything. So, so bread still holds in core sets. <laughs> yeah, kind, kind of. Although even core sets, you know, you can see that, that like public execution is right. the you know the, 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 the yeah. There's anyway, you can see clunky removal making its way, and I think it's great because then it does take these mid range draft picks and makes them tough. Are you taking a six mana removal spell or a two mana guy that's not that exciting? But by gosh, you really need those early creatures in your in your decks to to make them work. So right. uh, I think. Really, the bread acronym of, of bombs removal evasion and other blah, stuff, blah, 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 blah <laughs> is, is, is still a fine rule of thumb if you're taking it in the context of efficiency and, and, and basically putting good in front of all those. You know, right. Good removal over good evasion, you know, the, but you have to be aware of, uh, of the quality of your spell, and that tends to, uh, for me, relate a lot to uh, casting cost and its... Uh, uh, how broad it is when you're talking about removal. Again, that we tend to now make expensive stuff that deals with anything or cheap stuff that uh, is far more conditional in terms of what it can deal with. And that makes it all a little more fair and balanced. Right. In general, I think the biggest mistake uh, newer players make is not keeping an eye on their curve while drafting. And when we talk about yeah. your curve, that means basically the average cost of the spells that you would want to play on each of the, the turns. So uh, what what two mana spells do you have in your uh, draft pile that you would actually want to cast on turn two if you had that ability? And what about turn three and what about turn... So you can fall in love with, oh, you've opened uh, a bomb that was six mana and there's another bomb. But it's, you know, this one just wins the game for seven mana and then here's this five drop that's pretty strong. And uh, if you just take it one pick at a time and say what's the most exciting card in this pack, frequently... The more expensive it is, the more exciting it looks, right? right. <laughs> and and so you can get into a trap of just drafting excitement. But oh, <laughs> rhino! <laughs> yeah, drafting excitement is expensive. And at the end of the day, you, in order to get to those exciting spells at the upper end of your curve, you really need to make sure you've taken stuff uh, yeah. for the low end, and you have something to do on turns two and three, which are the most important turns in limited. <laughs> I got 23 playables. My turn seven is going to be amazing yeah. <laughs> if I make it that far. Right. Right. I'm One here of, to see that you don't. <laughs> One of the things about bread, again, talking about how it doesn't really work anymore, or at least not in Return of Ravnica, is, is that it doesn't take in you know mana fixing. It doesn't take into color fixing in any sort of way. Right. Like how high are guild gates or, or the key runes or any of that sort of stuff in comparison? And basically, bread doesn't take into account synergy, right? right. Which is what yeah, I was saying. That's, that's synergy saying. is just so important in uh, uh, Return to Ravnica and in, in Magic in general. I mean, you always want to be keep thinking about how your cards are interacting. Uh, and But when it comes to these guilds and what your game plan is, you know, what, what, is, what are you trying to do? How are you trying to win this game? And how are you making sure that the, the cards you're picking up work together to achieve that goal and are greater than the sum of their parts? Right. And, uh, again, Selesny is a great example of that. There's cards that simply no other deck is going to want that in Selesnya are just amazing for you because it has that magical word populate on it. Right. And uh, without it, uh, nobody else wants it. But the second you're, you're doing this other thing and making an extra 3-3 centaur, it's, like, excellent. Yeah. So, yeah. so uh, Dragon's Maze, Drafting, Magic Online, Ryan, Spain. 
I had a great time. Thanks for joining us, Ryan. Thanks for having me. It was really fun to podcast again. It's been a long. It's been a while for <laughs> it you. It's been a while. Yeah. So uh, before we duck out, uh, we had asked for questions on Twitter. We run out of time. We're not going to do that this time around. But we are going to be looking for feedback. Be looking for questions to help drive the conversations we have on each episode. We've already got the guest for next episode lined up. I'm not going to tell you yet, but Ooh, I know who he is. Mystery. And it's going to be very exciting. I think the Vorthos out there are going to be very excited. <laughs> hint, hint. Hint, hint. Let me be subtle about this. <laughs> so, uh, as always, I'm your host, Trick Jared. You can find me on Twitter at TrickMTG. At Tifa Mayan. At Michael Robles. At Ryan Spain. Thanks for listening. We will see you in two weeks. <laughs>